Welcome to Human Rights Education Now, a podcast series from Human Rights Educators USA. I'm your host, Bill Fernikes, a member of the National Steering Committee of HRE USA, a collaborative network to learn, teach, organize, advocate, and innovate for human rights education in the United States. This podcast aims to raise awareness about human rights education and invites listeners to engage with the worldwide movement to make human rights education a core focus of educational programs from preschool through higher education and in both non-formal and informal community educational settings. This episode concludes our conversation with Sandra Sirota, Assistant Professor in Residence, Human Rights Institute, and Director of the Human Rights Close to Home Dodd Human Rights Impact Project at the University of Connecticut Stores. Sandra discusses advancing civic engagement by young people through her work in human rights education, the value of multi-generational collaborations to promote human rights education, the relationship of human rights education to social justice issues and scholarship, how human rights education can address emerging threats of authoritarianism in the U.S. and globally, and recommendations for expanding and strengthening the field of human rights education in the future. It seems that you're drawing upon uh, concepts from Paulo Freire and others who talked about dialogue as central to the idea of coming to an awareness of your place in sort of the the system of oppression or a system of inequality. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, um, I think dialogue is very powerful. Um, one part of our program is um, we had some. UConn faculty and staff come from um, a program called Encounters, where they actually um, have structured dialogue around difficult conversations so that people, and in, in our case, we did it around education um, and inequities in education. And it gives everyone an opportunity to speak and share their thoughts and experiences um, in this area. And then at the end, they learn from experts in um, education. And um, that, I think, is really important and powerful. I think that I was just working with my class, the Human Rights and Social Justice Education class yesterday, and we were talking about um, this article we were reading on actually um, Indigenous social justice pedagogy and how through um the author, Valerie Shirley, was talking about how by talking about Western influences and indigenous influences together, some of the students realized that they were more Western and it was really difficult for them to come to that realization because they really cared about their indigenous identity. But growing up in a Western culture, they they were starting to lose that. Um, but um, one of the important parts of the pedagogy that Shirley talks about is not having students leave in anger or despair. And so people talk, the students talked about what they could do um, about their feelings. 
And every single one of them went home to um, ask a parent or, or other caregiver how they could learn the, their language again. And so they all started learning the language from um, their parents and caregivers and it empowered them um, rather than left, leaving them defeated. And I think like that came through dialogue, right? And so, and thinking critically about your situation and then taking action. Yeah, I think that very much is in the spirit of Freire and, and critical pedagogy. Yeah. Now, that leads us into the question of how you view HRE in relationship to social justice. There's been a lot of discussion about the interconnections or lack of connections there. So uh, how do you specifically conceptualize uh, those linkages, particularly in the United States today when there's such intense polarization? Yeah. I um, have thought about this a bit, and I really see a lot of overlap with social justice and human rights education. I think, you know, human rights education comes with the international human rights framework that can be drawn upon. There's a, a list of human rights that people can look to, um, and it's very clear. Um, social justice, I think it's more about looking at the injustices in the world that aren't necessarily predefined, right? And so, um, but there's a lot of overlap in the issues that people work on. There are a lot of, there's a lot of overlap in the pedagogies um, in both social justice education and human rights education. And I think they're getting closer, um, but I haven't done research on that to, to confirm that. But um, I was, you know, thinking about the Shirley article again, she was talking about cultivating love, right, and heart and um, allowing emotions in the classroom. And this is something that we've been talking about in human rights education. Like, how do you teach human rights, but not allow students to express their emotions, right? And so that's a really important part of learning. And so for a lot of these liberatory educations, I think there's there's overlap and there's strength in learning them together um, and in drawing on them at different times. And I it reminds me of when I was doing research actually um, with Human Rights Educators USA, I was speaking to one of the steering committee members who um, was doing professional development with teachers. And he talked about walking into a room and talking to the teachers about human rights education. And they all kind of had blank looks on their faces and they weren't um, really resonating with it. And so he switched to social justice education and they got it and they were excited about it. And some it's kind of like having different tools in your toolbox to reach the same goal. And um, I think you think about what might resonate with people. And, you know, in some places in the world, in some communities, human rights language has all different powerful meetings. And sometimes it's been co-opted to mean something negative. So if you can reach the same goal with social justice education, I think that's great. Would you take the same approach in trying to change or alter the public discourse in this country about human rights since it's almost non-existent. Mm. You mean, like, would I suggest building up social justice education? Is that Let me you're... give an example. Uh, okay. If we discuss um, 
let's say you take a you know a mainstream newspaper, the New York Times, the Washington Post. The other day, the Washington Post published a huge research study about um, chronic illness in the United States. Mm-hmm. An enormous problem that's not really being discussed much, and it's good that they published it. However, in their discussion of health care, the words human rights never show up. Mm. So if you think about it that way, do you see this sort of toolbox approach being used to try to alter the conversation and making human rights a more prominent component of the public discourse? Well, I do think there is power in human rights language, right? And the idea that every human being is entitled to these rights no matter what. Um, And this, the fact that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was created with so many countries with different cultural values um, coming together and saying, yes, we agree on these rights. Um, And then out of that has come this powerful international human rights framework with so many different documents um, that call for human rights for different groups. And um, I wouldn't want to lose that and the potential enforcement of rights that could come out of that and with all the flaws of enforcing human rights through an international system, of course. Um, But I also, at the same time, see there are different ways to achieve justice and dignity and respect. Um, And I wouldn't call for replacing human rights, but I would say looking at tools from peace education, social justice education, anti-racist education, like there's, there's so much there. And one system of education does not have to, justice education does not have to have everything, I guess. Okay, so today in the United States, there are some really serious threats to fundamental human rights, uh, whether we're talking about banning books, limits on academic freedom, uh, restrictions of voting rights, uh, violence directed against minorities, um, stepping back from dealing with poverty, gun violence, all these things, migrants, refugees. If you took one of those specific issues how would you deploy human rights education and focus on the rights of children when you talk about that? So I think if you think about children's rights, So how do you use human rights education to try to promote one of these rights that are under attack? Well, as as an example, I'll just say, for example, the enormous amount of gun violence that's impacting children. How would you try to deploy human rights education to deal with that problem or another one that in the list I gave? Well, I think that The difficulty in using human rights education is that, as you mentioned, human rights education is not widespread in the United States, right? And so 
I see human rights education here in Connecticut is really growing for children, right? Like I see new teachers wanting to teach human rights as an ECE course. Um, I see, um, you know, the number of teachers that apply to um, join a human rights close to home program and, and learn about human rights and bring it back to the students, the number of students that apply, like, and this is only the first year we're doing this, right? And so I think as I look at the goal of bringing human rights education to more places in order to try to create change with these, all these human rights that are under attack that you talked about, all these children's rights, because what what can happen is like, how do we change cultural values or norms or laws in a society, right? There has to be a shift in thinking. And so if we're growing up thinking about how all human beings um, or all children deserve um, the right to safety, right? Or um, the right to access to information, um, the right to not face discrimination, like really thinking about that and learning and grappling with it um, throughout their education, my hope is that there would be a shift in cultural values, um, norms, and laws that would then protect these rights. So you would see it as a long-term process? I think that's one part of it. Yeah. The other part is um, maybe one of the students in the Human Rights Close to Home program decides to do their civic action plan on, um, you know, books that are banned, right? And then calls for change in their community. Like if I go back to the group Hearing Youth Voices, they wanted um, an African-American, Puerto Rican and Latino studies course in the high schools. And so they and a, a group of youth organizations got together and they testified, um, they gave testimonies about their experiences and why they wanted these types of courses in their schools. And they were, they achieved it. They um, were able to get these courses. They have now have to be in every high school. Um, they're offered as an elective. Students don't have to take them, but they're offered now in every high school. And so that was, um, you know, a huge part of that was young people driving the change in order to have that type of course in their school, which is really important um, for, you know, receiving an education where you're actually teaching the history and um, and current, you know, current events of all different groups and from all different perspectives and not just um, what the textbooks say right now in social studies courses or things like that. So um, I do think that when young people take action um, and do it in collaboration with others, that, that they can create change in the short term too. So we live in a time when there is a growing fear of authoritarianism. And we see that this has become a, a more prominent component in governments in certain parts of the world, whether it's Russia, Venezuela. We see the Republican Party in the United States, elements of it embracing authoritarianism. So 
going forward, how do you feel the global HRE movement could address that? And will we be weakened or can we be strengthened in the effort? I'm going to be hopeful and say that we can be strengthened. (laughs) I think um, kind of going back to what I was talking about with human rights education in this country, like I'm really curious to see what happens um, in Connecticut as um, human rights education is becoming more and more available um, in schools. Um, And we are doing some research along with the human rights close to home program to see how teachers and young people who are in the program, you know, are influenced by it. And then um, hoping to even look broader to see how students who are exposed to human rights education are influenced by it um, as we continue on. So I think I think it really goes back to what I was talking about with the cultural norms and um, legislative change how can we bring human rights education um, into more areas and how can people in different countries also bring human rights education in and how can we learn from each other? You know, like in the United States now, I see like in Minnesota, in San Francisco, in New York, there are human rights education opportunities for teachers um, to really gain knowledge and bring it back to their classrooms. And I'm sure it's happening in other places that I don't know about. and I haven't followed South Africa as closely um, in recent years, but I did see that they had a new curriculum that was really emphasizing human rights. Um, so if human rights education, if teachers have an opportunity to bring it to their classrooms, that's my hope for how it can really um, bring about a shift. But it doesn't only happen to happen in classrooms. Like I, we talked about earlier, I've been a part of a number of human rights organizations, you know, nonprofit organizations and human rights education organizations that are doing amazing work too. So I think the more hands we have in this, the better. Would you say that a critical focus would have to be training teacher educators as well as people in schools, K-12, and the students. Is that part of it as well? Definitely an important component. Um, So in order for teachers to be able to bring human rights to their classrooms, right, they they either have to, um, if they're veteran teachers, they're seeking out professional development, or um, if they're pre-service teachers, then they may be able to access human rights education in their schools, but it's also not widely available now. And part of that is because um, a lot of people aren't trained in um, human rights education. A lot of professors, you know, aren't trained in this area. So, and I think it also goes back to like the time crunch, right? And so pre-service teachers and veteran teachers, I know here at um, at UConn and in other schools, they have a lot of um, requirements they have to fulfill and responsibilities that they have to fulfill in order to fi- finish their program. And teachers, you know, have so much pressure on them. So 
I think the more ways that we can offer human rights education, the better, but there also has to be um, the will to, or the desire to have it be a part of these programs. And for teacher educators, there have to be opportunities for them to, to be trained um, in order to bring it to teachers. Okay, so uh, for our final three questions, uh, which are standard in each conversation, uh, let me start with these. Who would be the most influential role model for you, your HRE work, a person alive today or one who's left us? So um, I like to look to the people who are in my life and impact me, um, you know, every day. And so I think about my doctoral advisor, Garnet Russell, who's at um, Teacher College at Columbia University. She, uh, what I think about is one of the first meetings I had with her um, when I was in my program, she asked me for my advice on research. And I thought she was asking me as, you know, a professor asking a student to share their opinion. But um, she really valued my knowledge, my experience and my perspectives. And she really wanted to know what I thought and think seriously about it and, you know, take action, you know, with that knowledge in mind. And that's how she has always treated me, you know, th throughout my entire program. And I think that really embodies education through human rights, where you're respecting um, the knowledge, experience, perspectives of everyone, you know, involved, the learners, the educators. And I took that interaction because it was such a, a surprise to me and a pleasant surprise that it continued throughout our relationship. Um, and to this day, you know, we still uh, work together as colleagues and friends. And I take that interaction into every interaction that I have with my students. And it just leaves such a lasting impression on me. Great. So what quote most effectively sums up your view of the importance of human rights? Um, well, I just saw Jane Goodall in New York City um, this past weekend, and I was thinking about um, her work. And I was also thinking about, unfortunately, I cannot remember his name at the moment, but um, a lot of people um, in the human rights world are thinking beyond humans now, right, about um, the rights of nature um, more holistically. And so I would love um, to think more about this in my own work. And so um, there are actually two quotes from Jane Goodall that come together that um, really sum up how I'm thinking about human rights right now. Um, so the first one is, we can have a world of peace. We can move toward a world where we live in harmony with nature, where we live in harmony with each other, no matter what nation we come from, no matter what our religion, no matter what our culture. This is where we are moving towards. So she's a very hopeful person, and I really um, try to embody that hope in my work. But then she says um, in a different quote, you cannot get through a single day without having an impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference, and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. And so I think with that hope, we have to also take action um, and 
that action can be through education or through advocacy. And so um, that's how I think about human rights right now. If you had the power to make one critical change to advance HRE in the U.S., what would you recommend? Well, I would love for HRE to be in every school in K through 12, whether that's integrated throughout subjects. Um, but really, I think the right to human rights education is a human right. Um, and right now, it's one that a lot of people in the U.S. don't have access to. And I think the the best way we can reach everyone is through schools. So if we could have human rights education be offered in all schools in grades K through 12, I think that can make a big difference. Okay. So I wanted to thank you, Sandra, for a wonderful conversation today. And uh, like I said, uh, people like yourself are doing great things and you're going to be a great role model for the people you're working with. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Bill. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for listening to Human Rights Education Now. You can find additional information about this podcast series at www.hreusa.org. Each episode is available on the HRE USA podcast page, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Pocket Cast, and Deezer. They will soon be available on YouTube and SoundCloud. You can also download each episode as an MP3 file. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, send them to christy at hreusa.org. That's K-R-I-S-T-I at hreusa.org. Our podcast team includes host and producer Bill Fernickes, executive producer Christy Redalius palmer editor Elizabeth Schwab, sound designer and project manager Sabrina Sanchez, communications and public outreach coordinator Jessica Tabrugan, and production coordinator Jasmine Chizu Gota. The Human Rights Education Now logo was designed by Kim Berring. Human Rights Education Now is a production of Human Rights Educators USA, a project of the Center for Transformative Action in Ithaca, New York.